Welcome to episode 165E of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. And we are also joined for the men's segment of the show to start by our dear friend, suddenly very popular on podcasts, <laughs> Lee Walsh. Hello, Lee. Hi, Ben. Hi, Courtney. Thank you very much for having me on. They've all come at once, I feel, this evening with my uh, earlier appearance on WT Insider. I told you I told you on the Insider podcast, which Lee is on for the, the final preview, that she was going to blow up after doing the WT Insider hit. I was right, because Ben and I did not talk about this, and then Ben was like, oh, I'll get Leon for uh, for ours. I was like, well, I just had Leon for my other one, so, see? I've only waited a couple of years, but, you know. <laughs> Everything's coming up Walsh all at once, but so so we will just stick Definitely. with you. We'll just stick with you for the men. We'll start with the men, okay. so not have to be too redundant, uh, not to double dip your brain too much. The dudes, obviously, we also start with the men's semi, which just happened, which there was a lot of talk about. Novak Djokovic beating Gail Monfils. How would you describe Gail Monfils' performance, Courtney? Some words that have been used have included unacceptable, <laughs> reprehensible, unprofessional, whimsical, smart. What, what would you, how would you say? Well, it's Gael Monfils. This is what we see on a weekly basis from Gael and what we've seen throughout his entire career, which is that for a guy who is so gifted and so talented in just athletic ability, ball striking, he can hit every shot in the book, he can be a pure defender he can be a counter puncher he can be you know a completely offensive player pounding aces and 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 pounding forehand winners he's got everything so what do you do i mean how do you discipline that i mean he is a a a undisciplined player you know we know this in the past and today he tried to junk um and just play kind of a very as he would say non-academic non-academy-esque style of tennis, original tennis, as he would call it, um, and try to do something different. He was 0-12 against Novak. I understand the logic of trying to do he something. He was down like 5-love yeah, the first and, when he tried it. And yeah. he was tight. And I understand, you know, wanting to try and do something a little bit different. I think that, you know, the reaction was a little bit extreme, but it at, at the same time wasn't, like, unacceptable, the reaction. I mean, the way that he was kind of lollygagging about was, I mean... You know, and I'm not sure Gael Monfils is one who, ha- for example, if Andy Murray had done the same thing, I think the the reaction would be a little bit of, oh, he's trying to, there's some strategy behind this. Because on some level, Murray has kind of earned that right to kind of, you know, be, be given the benefit of the doubt with respect to tactics. I don't think that Monfils has necessarily... Uh, not earned, but won that right. He's from never people. gotten tactics have never been Malfi's. Yeah. All the superlatives used about him, no one ever talks about. And those tactics are just so great. Yeah, the decision making was phenomenal. That's just not how we talk about Gael Malfi. So maybe that conversation has to change. I mean, I don't know, but um, so I wouldn't say that the conversation surrounding the match was 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 wrong. Uh, but it may have been a bit. I mean, I definitely believe it was harsh. I mean, I, I understand what Malfi's was trying to do, and you know, at the end of the day. He he took that set, that match pretty deep, for better or worse. When he when he changed tactics, the scoreboard momentum shifted. I, I think that it was a little bit early to start abandoning Plan A, which was just play normal tennis. <laughs> Two games into it, yeah, yeah. I just even five games if you think that he really changed down love five. Because I mean, he just he he's obviously zero and twelve against Djokovic coming in, but he still has a game. He can he just wasn't playing well. And so, I, I don't know. I, I'm of mixed minds about it. It was not a fun match to watch. And there's also this, like, weird cyclical effect that happens in this tournament 
where the commentators are ripping on them and then the crowd is, has the commentators in their ear with those U.S. Open radios that are so common here. So everyone in the stands is hearing John McEnroe on, you ESPN. Know, on ESPN and the others, Fowler was jumping into and the other ones on the broadcast were jumping in as well, ripping in. So then it translates into the crowd reaction to it. So, yeah, I thought it was oddly your, your thoughts on Mr. Monfils, yeah. Monsieur Monfils. <laughs> I think Courtney said it there when she talked about it. He, he has it all, but I think the problem is he is too much. And, and I don't think Gail Monfils knows what his game style is. It's yeah. it's just there's so one day he's a he's a defensive player, the next day he's an aggressor, suddenly he's serving volleying. It's just, it, it's all over the place. And I think today he went in, he'd lost 12 matches in a row against Novak Djokovic, of course. You know, you're going to mix it up, try something different. But to come out in, the, in a Grand Slam semi-final and try something so uncomfortable, um, it just it just appeared like it was all a bit rushed, a bit unplanned, when it could, in fact, be the very opposite. I think the thing with Monfils is that... <laughs> Like when he's stepping in to take these returns like two, three feet inside the baseline, yeah. that can be a tactic. But, you know, he's not chipping and charging the net after it. He's just strolling in and bunting it back into the court. And I get his strategy was to kind of pull Djokovic into the net and then trust his passing shots. But it's just the lackadaisical way he goes about it all that, that just infuriates. And yeah, yeah and it's... And that, I think, gives off this impression that he's not trying. It's a Grand Slam semi-final. Of course he cares. Yeah. He's not going out there and, and tanking a match that he's five love down in the first set. That's He's just not doing that. I think it's just that appearance. But then, like, the thing that frustrates me is just a match point. I know, like, they get the matches gone, the hopes lost. But, like, run for the ball. Like, the... Djokovic just like put a return back down the centre of the court and he just watched go past him and I think in, in a sport and how often are you going to be in the final four of a major you just you got to stay out there and keep keep trying because you know anything can happen yeah and I, I mean going off of Lee's point I think that's precisely what I mean in terms of like he hasn't won the benefit of the doubt because of little things like that little decisions some of it is his his production and his body language when he pulls off these uh, junk bally, you know, points and things. It just looks like he doesn't care. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, it's the semifinal. You gotta make an effort. You gotta make it look like you want it. And, you know, the, the commentators and players, uh, fans, the only thing that we do have that's concrete in front of us is what we see. We can all speculate about what's going on in a player's mind. And that's what many of us do. And that's what a lot of commentators do. But, you know, that's all conjecture. What you do see is what you see on the court. And what you see on a court is a guy who doesn't look like he's trying for two sets. Uh, another guy who seems cranky as all get out for some whatever reason because it's hot out. I don't know. It was hot. It was very it was, gross. Yeah, it was super humid. It was super humid. No, no doubt about that. But, you know, and so you just – that's what you see. And then when the match just kind of produces, especially for two and a half sets and most of the, the match, just kind of ugly tennis. A lot of ma- points being won on errors and things like that. It's just – it's a tough watch. And you had, a, you had an interesting point on Twitter, Courtney, when I said, I, I sent a tweet that was like, you know, because people had a lot of feelings, I still need to have the time to get at your feelings in this match, <laughs> saying, you know, Djokovic Monfils makes you feel blank, and you said... It makes me feel that not every single tennis match that you watch is the most epic or greatest thing of all time. Sometimes tennis matches suck, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the fact that it's a semifinal and it's a dud, okay. Like, why do we have to build these things up into these huge, like, you know, these aren't war movies. This isn't Sparta. This isn't 300. Like, you know, like, sometimes two players step out on court. One player's better than the other player. It's a straight set thing. Sometimes they're both just terrible because they're racked by nerves. It's terrible. 
but I don't know if it's because people were spoiled by all of the like, you know, Novak and Rafa matches and, you know, all the semifinals of the past. I mean, obviously they're tremendous, but we have to realize that's not status quo and that's not par for the course. Par for the course is that sometimes you're going to have a shit match and that's okay. It's nobody's fault. It's just a shit match. And that's what happens in all sports. Not all football games are fantastic, y'all. Yeah, I know. It's true. And I think it's sort of been par for the course for this U.S. Open. It's been a little bit few and far between on the pure epics. There's only three that come to mind. Uh, Nadal Pui, uh, Osaka Keys, and Venus Pliskova, I think both would qualify. Those were all final set tiebreak matches. Uh, and they all you know, had comebacks and ebbs and flows and things like that. And they more or less delivered. Uh, Djokovic is through the final, uh, which seems odd because he's like barely seen him at this tournament. And he hasn't really been pushed. But he's into his seventh final in the last eight Grand Slams. It doesn't feel weird either. It shouldn't feel weird, even if it's like, oh, you had kind of a shit summer and you lost to Query. That's usually a career ender. But no, you're bouncing back. Definitely for tournaments. Definitely for tournaments, exactly. When Query wins things, tournaments end. Um, but but yeah, so uh, it's uh, yeah, so so Djokovic is through. He's going to play Stan Wawrinka, who beat Kenny Shikori, who beat uh, Andy Murray. I think since we last recorded, I think that match happened. So let's talk first about Nishikori. Is this is this a reason for for massive hope for him? I was doing a Japanese TV interview just now and playing to the home crowd. I was being very optimistic about Kenny Shikori and saying, "Oh, you know, this is, yeah, he can still do it. He's still young." There's the other Roger and Rafa getting out of the way. He'll have more chances, and I think that's right. But at the same time, he's and I did not expect him to beat Murray at all. That was a complete shock result to me. Um, I don't know. Is there a reason for big major optimism or did something change for Kenny Shikori at this tournament or even this summer which had the Toronto final and the Olympic bronze as well Lee I think the thing with Kay is you know even if he even if he'd got past Dan Vavrinka today would he have beaten Novak Djokovic in the final it's a big big ask to, and, and does he have those two big massive back-to-back wins in a semi-final and final um, I'm not quite sure, but you know he's still relatively young in terms of the the going ages now of the Grand Slam winners, and there definitely is reason for the optimism. You know he's got a great game, he's a great team around him, a great coach, and um, he's got a, got a lovely, lovely style. But like I think the thing with the match with Murray, I think Murray was just absolutely mentally exhausted, and, and Nishikori didn't exactly like play lights out against him. Um, he gave Andy plenty of chances. Andy just Andy just didn't deliver on them. You know, he had a big summer, and and I think that took its toll in the end. Would a perfectly fit and healthy and one hundred percent Andy Murray have lost that match? Probably not. Um, but I think okay, he will have his opportunities. Um, it will require a bit of luck, as as, as they all do. But um, yeah, it's it's tough to say right now. Courtney, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I agree 100% with Lee. I don't think that Andy Murray loses that match, um, if not for whatever reasons, whether it's mental exhaustion or just a crap, you know, mental day that he just kind of let things get to him that shouldn't have gotten to him. It was one of those days where people were like, oh, it's the moth. It was not the moth, you people. It was the gong. It was probably the gong. (laughs) The gonging sound. The gonging sound. No, but, you know, I mean, I think that I don't think Andy Murray loses that match tonight. I think it was an incredible. I think that Kay walks away very, very disappointed with a huge opportunity loss to make his second slam final. I don't think that necessarily he would have beaten Djokovic. He would have had an opportunity Mm -hmm. given what I've seen of Novak, uh, you know, over the, the course of the tournament. It hasn't been you know the Novak of the first Not six peak, months at, at no. all so uh, you know would Kay have had a shot absolutely he should have beaten Stan in three sets today absolutely 100% and you know to have all those break points and not be able to to convert had you know had triple break points in 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 that second set and also had I think maybe 
Love 30 on Stan as well. Few misses here and there. He had his opportunities. Got that break back in the fourth and then, you know, immediately capitulated. It was, I think that that's where I walk away being like, ah, oh, what happened there, Kay? Like, you know, I don't, ex- I don't expect you to beat a Stan Wawrinka, but I expect you when you get those opportunities that, to beat a Stan Wawrinka that you step up at this point in your career. Um, you know, he's not a young buck anymore. You know, he is, you know, he's a younger set and, you know, the, the men are going to play longer and, and he'll have more opportunities. I agree with Lee that it'll take a little bit of luck um, for the draw to break his way. But, hey, if Marin Cilic can win, Kenny Shikori can absolutely win. Yeah, no, I think that's about right. And Stan Wawrinka can win this tournament. He's in the final. He's 2-0 in Grand Slam's finals previously, both times also beating a world number one in those finals, which he has the chance to do again here. <laughs> He's kind of gone under the radar. I think when people saw him, at least I don't know when I did, when I saw him down match point to Dan Evans, I was like, this is about right. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, you thought it was about right that he was going to go out to Dan Evans. I thought, I thought that, I thought that it didn't seem ridiculous. I thought that Wawrinka's had been not you know the most spectacular year, and it's been hasn't had anything to really hang your hat on. And now he's into the final. Uh, he avoided playing Curious, which was going to be the blockbuster fourth round match. And he got Marchenko instead. Marchenko took a set off him, by the way. Um, and then he played Del Potro, and he was very good against Del Potro. That was his best match of the tournament, I think. And that amazing crowd singing moment late in the fourth set was just. Brought a tear to everyone's mm-hmm. eyes. I'm still crying. And yeah, so, so, so Stan does this, and it's uh, it's pretty pretty impressive, and he can win the U.S. Open. And he's played Djokovic. Their slam matches, Leighton slams, they've had a lot of them. They've been great. So Lee can Stan win the United States Open and get his third slam, be three-quarters of the way to a career slam, be ahead of, you know, I don't know, a lot of people with slams, tied with Murray again. Tied with uh, a, uh, you know, triple rotic, whatever you want to call three <laughs> slow. Rotic. You know. Um, yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's going to be pretty fascinating. I, I think that, well, the biggest question about Stan Wawrinka's chances in the final, I, I kind of, I got to do with Novak Djokovic and on what condition he comes in, which we're all still quite uncertain about. But one thing we know for sure about Wawrinka is that he's one of the few players whose A game matches Djokovic's A game and if he can if he can bring that tomorrow which he has done he's on a I did actually get a laugh in his press conference when he was asked about his 10 match winning streak in finals and he, he actually gave himself a pat on the back literally literally which I did enjoy um, and yeah he he looked fresher there today and he, you know he, he obviously the humidity was a big big struggle today and he said look I, I was really laboring in it, but I just didn't want to show it. And he's doing his, you know, finger pointing to the head. And, but you know, whenever Nishikori was getting getting down and feeling tired, he'd look up and Vavrinka would be fist pumping. And he wasn't expending a huge amount of energy on it, but even just get projecting that image that I'm here in this ridiculous heat and I'm feeling confident. Um, and I think if he brings that into the final against against Djokovic, um, you know, if there's anyone who's going to be confident against him, it's it's Vavrinka. And it is strange to think that Vavrinka could end the tournament on the same number of Grand Slam titles again as Andy Murray, uh, which reignites that whole debate again. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be very interesting. Your thoughts on the final? Yeah, I, I at this point I pick Stan to win. I, you know, my, I did a Twitter poll of people, and it, 50, it was like fifty-eight percent Stan picks, which yeah. I was surprised by. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he came into the tournament, on you know, under the radar. He's had a really just not great season um, on the whole, just so inconsistent, not reliable, et cetera, et cetera. But came in, looked fit, quietly took care of business. That backhand he hit to save match point against Dan Evans was a thing of beauty. Um, he just basically put his entire, I mean, he went all in. He put his entire tournament on this, like, stinging, flat, ridiculous backhand down the line winner. 
he's been the stanimal ever since that 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 match against dan evans i think unleashed the beast within him and i think that once he got that through that maybe you know i wonder if it's a little bit of like playing with house money players who save match points in tournaments do mm-hmm. say that carolina pushkova won uh, match point down front uh, against venus williams and, and is in the final as well so I think that that's part of it. But I was just really impressed by what he did against Nishikori, just physically. I mean, he just bullied the kid. You know, I mean, he, as Lee was saying, I mean, he didn't show any sign, even when he was down and he was struggling and he should have lost those second and third sets. He never showed any sign that he was the second best player out there, like, in terms of uh, body language. He looked like he was like in a, in a, like a higher weight class almost. At yeah, points. Howard I mean, he Bryant literally said is. that. Yeah. yeah, like that, 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 you know, with Kenny Shikori, he's a middleweight trying to go up against the heavyweights. And Middle have, might be generous. And, yeah, and you gotta, yeah. you know, well, I mean, the way he hits the ball. But, um, but yeah, so I, I haven't been impressed with Novak this tournament. I mean, not a lot of data points uh, given how, how little he's played. Um, but just seeing him go out there against Monfils and get so um, frustrated and take you know get two massages on the left shoulder medical timeout for the right shoulder um ripping his shirt midpoint or not midpoint but mid game and playing with this deep v-neck all of us i I don't understand it i just really don't and he had no reason to kind of feel that way and so i mean just based off of you know the confidence going into tomorrow's final and just the way their head spaces are i think you know, so long as Stan doesn't think that he's done enough, which I don't think he has, I don't think he thinks that, um, he's going to go in there and he's going to take take his cuts and it's going to, you know, I mean, there's no reason for Stan not to go out there with his, his chest puffed and there's every reason for Novak to have all of their matches, you know, those those tough grind out matches in the back of his head. And if it's as steamy as it was today, absolutely, I give Stan the edge. Yeah, weather is going to be kind of an X factor. I would give, I'll pick Djokovic just because he's been so good when he has gotten these chances on big stages against the other best players in the game this year when he just crushed Rafa to start the year in Doha when he killed Federer in Australia was beating up on Murray in Australia too beat Murray and the French I, I think that he's been the best against the best when it's been needed and I'm not sure he personally puts Malfi's in that category so he might not have been really giving his complete a game there we were at the data set from Djokovic has been non-existent to terrible and so that hasn't been confidence, confidence expiring. And if he does win this tournament, it'll be like, what was that? You know, as, in terms of, as far as championship runs go, uh, getting his, you know, two retirements and a walkover. But I, I think he'll, I think there's reasons to think he can do it. Do you have a pick? Lee, we can get an explicit pick from you. Break this tie. It's, it's always, um, it's a bit of a fool's game going against Djokovic with, with just all the stuff he's achieved in the game. And as you mentioned there, when he's gone toe to toe with the other guys around him at the top of the rankings, he's, he's come out on top, um, for the most part this year. Um, but yeah, having said that, I think I'm going to go stand. You're going to be a fool. Because we did, we, we talked about it briefly earlier about if it's, if it's a muggy, muggy evening and the ball's moving a little slower during the air, through the air, you know, Fafrinka can put that pop behind his ground strokes like, like many people can't. Um, and then if, if Djokovic, we obviously, you know, his blanket defense is incredible. It's amazing. But when you're running all day in a five set match in, in that weather, it's, it's, it's not going to look too pretty. Um, so yeah, I would go Vavrinka with a slight, slight bit of hesitation in my voice, but I'll go Vavrinka. Well, it's been a delight having your voice on the show, <laughs> Lee, hesitant or not. Thank you for joining us to discuss the dudes. Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Ladies. Hey, ladies. Let's start with Serena Williams losing. As you, I mean, every tournament is kind of Serena Williams or bust, or Serena Williams or the field. Field wins this one. But field was named Carolina Pliskova this time, beat Serena 6-2-7-6, parentheses 5, in that match in the semifinals. And I think what stood out to me is that 
in my take which for this match is Serena just got beat. I mean, Caroline, especially that first that just came out and just hit her off the court more or less and used her power and her ability to move Serena in a way that Serena wasn't able to move Pliskova. I mean, the game plan for beating Pliskova is getting her on the move, and that's why I think she's winless against uh, Radvanska. She's like 0-7, which might have been the quarterfinal had Radvanska not lost to Kanya. Uh, but Serena wasn't able to do that, and Pliskova played her Lindsay Davenport-style power-from-the-middle game and, and did it. And that's pretty much my take on that. And training wasn't great, but Pliskova was really good and has been really good. And it sort of makes you wonder where this has been at Slams and why it all clicked all at once. But it's definitely clicking now. Yeah, it's definitely clicking now. 11 straight wins, uh, being number one, number two, and number three in the last uh, three that's weeks. That's real good. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, beating Serena and Venus uh, in a tournament, that's not easy. Just the eighth woman to do that. Um, has a chance to be the first woman to beat number one and number two at a slam since Sveta did it at the French Open 2009. Mm. Um, a lot of things going on. I, I think that it's so interesting. I mean, well, let's start with the Serena match, I guess. Um, you know, my take on it, Obviously, not the best Serena that day, no. for sure. Not a bad Serena, just not the best Serena that day. Um, and that Pliskov did play well. It was reminiscent of, of the French Open final a little bit, of a physically compromised Serena. Um, probably less, in my opinion, less physically compromised in this match than she was in the agree. French Open final. Um, but a physically compromised Serena who got blasted off the court by somebody who just has the power to do that on any given day. I think that with Pliskova... You know, I was so impressed. The The most impressive thing about her in the last, like, three weeks since, you know, the Olympic break is just how poised she's been. You know, I mean, in Cincinnati, she rolled through the draw. I mean, she she had a little – she dropped one set to Sveta. Other than that, she dropped, like, less than four games, I think, to both Garby and to, Angel and to Angie. So, you know, hard to kind of figure out exactly that run. That was just, like, crazy lawnmower-type stuff. Here – She's really had to battle. And, and that match against Venus with 23,000 people cheering against you, um, you know, that to come through that save match point, hit that crazy, you know, forehand drive uh, on match point to save it and not miss it. I still remember mm. holding my breath on it. Great. Um, and, she and, was, then, and she was down 5-1 in the first in that match before turning mm -hmm. it around. And being in the second week of a slam for the first time, she might have thought, Oh, this, is, this isn't for me. Yeah, exactly. I don't and also, here. she would have been yeah. very easy for her. And I think she's kind of she kind of said it that that third round match against Pavlyuchenkova to get into the round of sixteen, that was nervous for her. But since then, it's been pretty okay. And so against Serena, she just kind of stuck to it. And again, I thought she was going to wobble early in that second set. Serena started, you know, really fist pumping, getting vocal, kind of reminding, her face, yeah. yeah, reminding Pliskova, hey, you know, you're playing me, Serena Williams, um, and Pliskova never blinked and. And, you know, she blinked a little bit in the tie break. And then when Serena, you thought, this reminded me of the, the, the Australian Open final, when you thought that the other person blinked a little bit and you finally ran to see Serena, like, pull things all the way back. She double faults twice in the tiebreaker. Yeah. And uh, especially, I know, obviously, on match, match point. point. And it was just kind of a, like, wait, what? That's <laughs> over? You know, kind of result. Yeah. So, you know, definitely, definitely surprising. Obviously, that win um, gives Anjali Kerber number one. Um. So yeah. So that's yeah. those are my thoughts on on that match. On, on Serena, I guess there was a bunch of talk about this uh, on Twitter and among, and among coaches. Uh, I guess what are your thoughts stylistically? You know, in in defense of, of truthfulness, whatever about injury stuff coming out pretty quickly from Patrick after the match. Fair play, not the right move. What do you think? I don't think it's an issue of fair play or or anything like that. I think that if you're or sportsmanship, I guess. I guess maybe. Well, you know, look. 
I think I've said this on the podcast before. I definitely think I've tweeted it. There's a big difference between offering an excuse and offering context. I think context is very important. Yeah. When I ask players, were you injured if, or like, were you distracted or whatever it is, that's, I'm not asking them to, to give me an excuse. I'm asking them to explain their performance tonight. And if injury had something to do with your performance tonight, then that is context. Now, when you take it further than that and you say the reason I lost – is because of X or yeah. Y, then it becomes an excuse, right? Think, because there's a causal link. I didn't hear, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't listening to ESPN, nor so was I. I didn't but, hear what Patrick one, said. One, one of the sound bites I heard, particularly that he said that jumped out at me as being sort of off, is that he said, if Serena had been, you know, 20% healthier, she wins this match. I'm like, we don't know this. Like, she got, first of all, blowed off the court in that first set, 6 2. Like, if she would have been healthier, would she have been better? Yeah, but doesn't mean difference between winning and losing necessarily sure, in a straight I mean, set it's, loss. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing because it's like if she's 20% better, she wins that match. Well, if Pliskova gets five more aces in, that's an easy straight set win. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I mean, the whole match, Serena got yeah, it one. It is bus for candies and nuts. Yeah, exactly. But I'll have a Merry Christmas. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, Serena got one break point. One break point in yeah. that match. I mean, Pliskova was serving lights out. Serena didn't, again, she wasn't playing her best, and we all know that. But I think that it was really interesting what she said in her press conference that you know, her mind was on the injury and therefore she couldn't focus on what she needed to do. I think that that's a legitimate and that's, that rang true to me watching her because you talked about it before about needing to move Pliskova. Serena really didn't do that. No. And, I, and with her game and all the shots that she can hit and the two shots that I thought that were going to be so key in exploiting Pliskova was going to be the kicker out wide to just start the point with Pliskova off the court. And then... Um, you know, that that rolling short forehand, right, cross-court yeah. forehand short that Serena forehand. can hit, yeah. that she hits it so easily when she's pulled wide. We didn't see too much of that. And that's just stuff that, like, if you're thinking clearly on the court, you're executing that pretty pretty easily, yeah. you know. So I was I was surprised by Serena's tactics. But what she said, again, context. Is she injured? Yes. Did she blame injury? No. Did Patrick? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't hear the quote. But... Um, Serena, I thought, was, was really good in her press conference. I thought she owned up to a lot, and I thought that she she also, what I appreciated, weirdly, as being a member of the meet press, which I shouldn't appreciate this, but I do, is she kind of eviscerated uh, narratives that she, she was just like, We're, that's flat out untrue, and I'm not going to let you run with that. And I kind of thought that was baller. It's much better than, having, than a player who comes in and says nothing and then gets mad about what people write. If you think there's a certain take on this match that's correct or one that's incorrect, speak your truth on that. Speak your piece. Say, this is my take on the match, and I don't think it's because I had to play back-to-back days was, I think, really the thing. Yeah. Now, granted, and because she was tired, the word tired came up. Now, granted, I think the back-to-back days might have given her less time to recover from her knee issues, for sure, whatever swelling or pain or whatever might have been less residual had she had a full 48 hours between matches, but she didn't. But she's saying that's fine. It was more or less the same for, for both of them. Yeah, and, and- She's going to have to play back-to-back days as a tennis player a lot. And, yeah, and I'll just say this, and, yes, I am an employee of the WTA, so this is going to be – you can take this for what it is. But as Serena said in her press conference, this is what the girls do on a week-to-week basis. They play back-to-back-to-back matches. Do we now say – but every time at a slam, whenever, the draw always has to reset for the women. At one point, in because you play on-off, on-off, no. there's going to be two days where you have to play, likely if you're on one side of the draw, back-to-back matches – Everybody freaks out about it. Like, not everybody, the players, the press. The press freaks out. Oh, they have to play back-to-back matches. No one's freaking out in Rome. No one's free. And she won, you know, she won there. 
no one was like, oh, well, that was a Herculean effort for you to play back-to-back-to-back matches, you know? Like, you know, no one's saying, oh, it was a Herculean effort for Karolina Pliskova to win Cincinnati playing back-to-back semifinals between um, Muguruza and and Kerber. That's standard. This is standard. And and at slams, they get the benefit of the day off. So, I don't know. I get get annoyed by that whenever that chatter starts at every major towards the end when it becomes the semifinal, quarterfinals, and sometimes finals when everything gets backed up. We mentioned something in passing that's actually a really big deal, which is that Angelique Kerber's number one. (laughs) Angelique Kerber's the number one player in the world on Monday, officially. She'll be atop the rankings. No one ahead of Angelique Kerber. Angelique Kerber, the best. The best. Thoughts? This is... Not something we banked on no. happening. I think even a year ago, this would have seemed ridiculous. Yeah, and to Angie Kerber, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the reality of it is this has happened with, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a swimming pool filling based off of just drips of water. Like, mm. all, all of a sudden you come out and you're like, oh, that's full, you know? <laughs> um, and um, it's just been a very work and like effort for her. And, and obviously, it started out with a big bang. Uh, in January, uh, you know, to, to win the Australian Open. But everything that's happened after the Australian Open, she's just, it's so Kerber to just like, get, you know, put on your hard hat, get your pickaxe, and just keep slowly picking your way through. And like, that's what I'm, she does. I'm imagining her as like one of the seven dwarves. Sure. It's a pretty good visual. Why not? Hi-ho. Um, Hi-ho. She can be grumpy sometimes. Yeah, so, you know, it's just been a workman-like effort for her to do it. And people, the narrative got twisted a little bit during the tournament. Like, oh, Angie, you're playing for number one. She really wasn't. Not until the later stages of the tournament, if they were to play it in the final. She had the number one coming into it. And it was up for Serena to win it back. Um, and uh, she had the 470-ish point lead somewhere around there Serena was the one chasing yeah Serena was the one chasing so there wasn't really pressure on Angie um you know at the tournament with respect to the number one ranking and even if there was hasn't dropped a set lost just 30 games pretty darn good in her semi she'd be Kayla Wozniacki who was the big surprise semifinalist this tournament I think we more I think I picked Pliskova to make semis when we did our draw show I thought at least I thought she'd beat Venus but I think she thought she'd make uh, semis there maybe I thought she'd lose Red Monska I'm not sure but she's not a surprise Wozniacki is a surprise, came out of nowhere. Her her last two years has been dizzying, to use one of many applicable words. If you think this Caroline Wozniacki, who's now going to be back towards the seated area of the rankings and the slams, is here to stay? Or what What have you seen from, from Caroline in this in this run? I thought she played really well, yeah. you know, over the fortnight. I think that's the most encouraging thing to me, that it wasn't like she... F- fluked her way into the semifinals, came across. I mean, she just played better tennis over the course of the, the two weeks. Wobbled early against uh, Taylor Townsend, but then after that, you know, played really, really well. Played aggressively, served well. All those things that she's been knocked for in the past, I thought she did really, really well over the fortnight. Now, you know, I'm a big believer in consistency. I'm a big believer in, hey, shocker, tour events matter. So yes, you did it here and you did it in New York. You did it where you made two grand, your two Grand Slam finals came here. Um, you have an apartment, et cetera, et cetera, that whole narrative, which I thought was weird, but anyways. Um, and now we're going to have to go to Asia. And what do you do when the, the spotlight is a little bit dimmer? Um, when, uh, you know, you, you come up against players that maybe you know, don't amp you up the way that playing a Svetlana Kuznetsova early amps you up or right. playing a Madison Keys early amps you up. And you're right about Spotlight because Wozniacki, for a player ranked 74th, opened the tournament on Grand Slam, playing first ever match on yeah. Grand Slam, which is kind of an occasion, and the rest of her matches were all on Ash. Yeah. Which is a testament to her continued, you know, uh, resonance here among fans and schedulers at least and her and place here. And also the here. matches. Yeah, I mean, the they, were, were they, were, they were Ash-worthy. 
I mean, I mean, Wozniak and Nicolescu was a little bit of an odd pick. I, I mean, yes. I, I, I obviously love that matchup, but it wasn't. It wasn't How dare you? I wasn't like Ash that one. I was, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But yeah, yeah. so, um, so that you're right. I think she's a big stage player here anyway, and this has been her best tournament. It's sort of like the sick at Wimbledon. Like mm-hmm. you know, those results will always yeah. be better than the rest, and just because you do well at Wimbledon doesn't mean that you're and turn everything around year-round. And and I will say this as well, because, you know, in terms of just, like, cautioning any post-U.S. Open Caroline hype, to be fair to her, I think, is we saw this sort of improvement and this sort of momentum gaining at the end of 2014, and it fell flat in 2015. Very flat. So, you know, to me, I would just preach patience. I think it's great. I think that she played really, really two great weeks of tennis, came up against... You know, in Angelique Kerber, who number one player in the world. But, you know, I think that it, at the same time for Waz, I am very curious to know, you know, once she gets some time to reflect and actually think about that semifinal, what her reaction is. Because, you know, they grew up together, uh, her and, and Kerber. Kerber has never been the one that was part of that whole discussion of, of those players in terms of her. I was joking with Ben the other night that that photo of that uh, epic vacation with her and Aga Radvanska, Ursula Radvanska, and Kerber, that Kerber was the least known yeah. out of all of them behind Ursula Radvanska when that picture was taken. She was the anonymous one. So then you go and you play her in the semifinals here. She's number one. And you realize you're you're that far off. Um, I don't know how, whether that's motivating or if that's demotivating. I, I just don't know for her what, how she comes away with it. And Kerber into the final now beating Wozniacki ultimately relatively routinely. I mean, there were some, there were some bumps uh, ins and outs and yeah. some if he times closing out sets in that match, but never felt super close because you got those big leads in both sets both times, especially in the first set was like four in love in like five minutes. Yeah, it was um, fast. Really fast. Uh, but Kerber's number one now. Uh, that's, again, a surprise, but it feels, I think she has the strongest case of everybody just because Serena, like we said before, I think on a recent episode, Serena's played so few tournaments, only seven tournaments counting towards her ranking, that Serena's case for being number one was pretty weak. Yeah. And so Kerber has the stronger case for being number one now into her third slam final of the year that's maybe more surprising than her being number one yeah that she's made three slam finals this year i've never made any so she's in there against pliskova who she lost to in, also, in a heat go ahead oh and no just also i mean adding to the 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 kerber you know uh, resume for number one winningest player currently this year on the wta tour uh most hardcore wins i mean it's silver it's, medal it doesn't even silver count medal doesn't even this, count yeah. for this i mean if it did she would have had it in in cincinnati you know the number one ranking it you know, she, she's played incredibly well, and, and it frustrates me personally when people kind of just don't give Kerber the respect for doing what she has done, particularly not just the, not the last 12 months. I mean, obviously her entire career, but even just like the last, you know, nine months. Um, you know, it's, 2016. it's been, yeah, yeah, 2016, and I agree with you that it's more shocking to me that she's into three slam finals than that she's number one. You could see her having a situation like kind of like a was like doing really well at the smaller tournaments and just out of consistency or with Yankovic, things. number one. Yeah, maybe. exactly, and all that. But no, she's she's delivered, and um, all, credit, and all credit to her. She had that first round loss at the French Open, but she lost to Burton's, who made semis eventually. Yeah. That wound up being a very tough draw. So, she also was dealing with injury. But and yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. So, all, so I just think her, her slam results have been... Very solid. Uh, she's into this final against Pliskova. Pliskova steamrolled her in Cincinnati, like you said, lawnmower or whatever, sort of heavy-duty, uh, do not, you know, heavy machinery, do not use under the influence of certain drugs. Application you want to say here, Verb? I don't know. It's that really was a late, word you guys. Salad. I'm sorry. sorry. 
That match was not close. Will this match be close? What do you What do you think? How much will you talk to each of them today? I did. What's your sort of reading on their on their uh, slam? I just saw Pliskova briefly in the gift shop. Yeah. So <laughs> looking look at sweatshirts. Exit through the gift shop, Carolina Pliskova. Um, you know, going into today, before I talked to both women, I thought that it was a really fifty fifty match uh, based off of especially what I'd seen in Cincinnati and how well Pliskova played. After speaking to them, I kind of walked away thinking that it was a little bit more 65-35 for Kerber. Mm. Angie was incredibly businesslike. Uh, it was kind of funny to me because it was one of those interviews and discussions where it's like, oh, you've been here before. You know what this whole rigmarole is, the pre-tournament press, pre-final press, your whole rhythms and routines before a final. And she was really backing herself and just in the language that she was kind of using. And you can hear the interviews on the insider podcast, but, um, but yeah, just like talking about like, and so tomorrow I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and win this match or, uh, and that's what makes me one of the toughest players right now. Like there was like some Kerber swag in what she was saying. Pushkova sat down. I was like, Hey, so it's been less than 24 hours since your big win. How are you? And she just, her head was still in the clouds. She's still reveling in 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 that semifinal win over Serena, and I thought what was really interesting is I asked her what kind. She said she didn't sleep well last night because her mind was still racing about what had happened, and so I said, well, what means more to you, or what's more significant to you, beating Serena, or making the U.S. Open final? And she said, beating Serena. Interesting. And I that to me, I didn't. That's an unexpected I didn't like answer. that. I didn't like that answer because you know to me it's like, but no, you're not done. You you have one more match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like you, you should be amped for the final, but your head. 24 hours, less than 24 hours before you have to play that final is still basking in the glory of the semifinal. Very human reaction, very understandable, but a rookie move, you know? Uh, whereas Kerber was like, she was, she had like sneak eyes. Like she was ready to roll. <laughs> and it could have been because she was talking to me and she was over it. <laughs> Get this woman out of exactly. my face. Like I talk to her every freaking week. I'm sick of talking to her. It's also very, very possible. <laughs> well, we are not sick. Well, we're, I guess we're sick. We're going to stop talking to you guys now. Uh, we're not sick of it. We love to do it anytime. All the time. It's a treat. A lovely treat. Thank a Rice Krispie treat, of which I have been eating a lot here, and I never eat Rice Krispie treats. I don't know. I keep buying from media dining. You know my recipe with those, right? Yeah, with the peanut butter cups. Yeah, you yeah. take you take a Rice Krispie treat, the standard size one, that's on the packages, cut it into eighths, once down the, the long way, and then you know three cuts down to into eighths. Take a pack, a two pack of rice of Reese's peanut butter cups, cut each of those into quarters. So now you have eight pieces of each, stack them one on top of the other. You have the most delightful, delightful bonbon. Yeah, the delightful it's, diabetes bonbon. <laughs> it is amazing. It is it's like a lot of it's, sugar. it's a lot of sugar, it's, and it's it's so great. When I eat, I'm not a sugar person, as most people know. So when I eat sugar, I just imagine that's what people who like smoke crack feel like. Like I'm just like. I could lift this table right now. So I have to, like, regulate my Rice Krispie intake. But I have been eating a lot of them this year. So there you go. And with that, we recommend you do the same. And we will be the peanut butter cup. On top of this episode, will be us signing off here by saying thank you for listening. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast, or on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, whatever at nochallengedmaining at gmail.com is our email there. Executive producers of No Challenge Remaining, Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com, and Tal Woolley. We'll save our ranting for post-tournament for now. Another day of work. We can't rant until we actually leave because if we rant, they might not scan our credentials tomorrow. So, yeah. Ooh, that Just is, kidding. That it's is... been great. <laughs> Fire in the distance from Courtney Nguyen. Just wait for it. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.